Well, this is part four of our special sermon series where we're taking a look at some of the main parts of the book of Revelation. And here's where we left off last time. In the last two messages, what we've seen is that the book of Revelation does not shy away from acknowledging the presence of evil and even the evil one. The basic principles of this earth are that there's going to be hardship and trouble all around us. And in fact, last week we saw how there is a very real spirit called the devil who is going to be part of our lives in this broken and sinful world. The book of Revelation doesn't hide the fact that there is evil in this world, but the point of it is to give us hope in the midst of it. The visions in the book of Revelation are never designed to startle you or make you afraid. The purpose of these visions is to allow us to be prepared for what we will face in this world. And here's what we've seen so far as we look at the evil in this world and the evil one in this world. It's really that there's going to be a lot that is thrown at you in this life. From the, the four horsemen that we saw a couple weeks ago to the dragon that we looked at last week, the, the two beasts that you see in Revelation 13, there, there are these startling visions that help us see the evil and the hardship and the trouble that are all around this world. There's a lot that's going to be thrown at you. And today what we're going to see is how the book of Revelation helps us apply this to our lives. Because this is the case, we need to be resilient in our faith and in the way that we approach lives, our lives in this world. So here's the, the question that we're really gonna dig into today. There's, there's a lot that will be thrown at you in this life. Are you sure that your faith can withstand it? Are you sure that there is no accusation that will tear apart at your faith in God? Are you sure that there is no evil in this world that will lead you to question God's presence or God's goodness? How can you be sure that your faith will withstand even in the presence of so many attacks and attackers in this world? As you think about that, you might think about some good things that you could do to make your faith stronger. You might think about things that you can do like uh, reading the Bible or praying every day. And maybe you think about those good spiritual habits that can strengthen your faith and those are good. Maybe another common thing that we think of is like how much you know. You think about all the things you could learn about God and maybe that will make you more spiritually resilient so that your faith will withstand whatever comes against you. And again, that is a good thing. You want to know more about God's promises for you. But we're actually going to see something else in the book of Revelation today. On top of reading your Bible and going to church and praying, all those good things you can do and all those good things you can know, we're going to see a simple focus within the broader context of this entire book. It's not just about how much you know, but it's really about how well you are known. And what I wanna do for you right at the forefront of this message, just in case you tune out or just in case you miss where we're going, I wanna state before you the principle that the book of Revelation gives us, and then we're going to see it illustrated in a number of different ways. And if you're taking notes, this is number one on your sheets. For a faith that withstands, Note who you are standing with. It's good to have personal disciplines of reading the Bible and how much you know, but really a big part of a faith that withstands has to do with the people that you are standing with. In fact, 
this is really the context for the entire book of Revelation. As you open it up and read through it, what you'll see is that God does not give one single vision of a horseman or a dragon or a beast until he has acknowledged that the people who are reading this book are known by him. The very first few chapters are basically seven letters to seven churches where God individually addresses seven different small groups of Christians, giving them wisdom and advice and and encouragement for what they had going on around them. What I know is that when it comes to these seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation, I'm sure all of them were wondering the same thing. It's been 50 plus years since Jesus died and rose again. And they're, they're probably wondering what we often wonder in our life. Does God even know what we're going through? Is he even still around? Is he aware of our lives? And he, is he aware of our, our struggles, our sufferings, our questions, our doubts? Does he even know? So what we're going to do today is we don't have time to work through all seven of these letters to these seven churches. But what we will do is take a look at the final letter to the final church in Revelation chapter three, because it's here that we see a lot of wisdom that I think applies so well to us who live here in Lakeville and also to anyone who's living in today's world. So we're going to jump into Revelation chapter three, verse 14, and we're going to see in this letter to this church in Laodicea, how God helps us understand that when it comes to the the ability for our faith to withstand, it has so much to do with who we stand with. And it starts simply like this. It says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. And so John is recording a very specific letter that God wanted him to record. And this is the same pattern that we see for the previous six letters. God had a specific small group of Christians in mind, and he wanted John to write seven letters to each of them. One letter for each one, specifically acknowledging some things that they were going through. A question you might have is, why does it say to the angel of the church? Uh, the, the Greek word for angel can also be translated messenger. And what, uh, Paul, or what uh, John wants us to see as he shares this vision is that the Though the one who's sharing this news is simply the, the one who's the pastor, the, the local leader for these churches. So God refers to them with this maybe unusual word, the, the angel of the church, but I'm going to go with it because I'm a pastor and I would be flattered if God would refer to me as an angel. But an angel as one who simply repeats, simply is a clear window to what God wants the people to hear and see. And what we're doing here is we're looking at the seventh letter that was specifically targeted to the, these, these uh, Christians who lived in Laodicea. And it's real interesting because even today in the 21st century, we know a lot of details about the area around Laodicea back in the first century. Uh, here's just a, a few details that we know um, history-wise when it comes to the, the general people who lived in that area. Uh, Laodicea was known for its water supply, but not in a good way. They had basically warm water. There was a hot spring that the Romans uh, tapped into. They brought the water to Laodicea through aqueducts. And by the time it got to Laodicea, the water was basically lukewarm, which is not fun to swim in. And it's really not fun to drink. It's kind of useless. And it didn't taste very good, apparently, also. 
But is this one of those unique things that even today we know about the, the area around Laodicea, and that's going to come in important, an important detail in just a moment. The other big thing about Laodicea is that it was a central area for a Roman currency mint. They would make coins for the Roman Empire, and as such, Laodicea also became the central location for the Roman Empire Bank, which means there was a lot of money coming in and some money going out. This was a wealthy area. And in just a moment, I'll share with you just how wealthy they were. First of all, there were two other things that really made them wealthy. One was they had a a worldwide cloth industry. They were especially known for their black cloth and also their vibrant colored cloths. And they would export these across the world. And it was a, a a big boost for their local economy. And then finally, the last thing is that they patented this ISAV. I know this sounds weird, but they had this medical college, this, this uh, school in Laodicea, and they developed a special um, ISAV that would help heal people's eyes of certain ailments. And again, this was one thing that they were known for, and people would come here to get this specific medicine. Now, you might think this is a bunch of random facts. What does this have to do with us? But as we look at what God wrote to this church in Laodicea, he makes one thing clear. He has not forgotten about them. He knows where they are. He knows how they are. And he makes that abundantly clear as he begins this letter. But what's cool is that before God even talks about who they are and how they're doing, he has to remind them who he is. So here's how the letter starts. To to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Before we can think about who we are and how we're doing, God says, I need you to remember who my son is. Jesus is the amen. He is the true and faithful witness. What he declares is trustworthy and true. And he is the ruler of this creation. Yes, there's evil, there's hardship, but nevertheless, he rules. And then once he reminds them of who he is, he goes on to remind them of who they are and what they've been doing. And and you might think a church that's going through hardship and trouble, perhaps Jesus will be gentle with them and encourage them and give them words of comfort because isn't that what a good shepherd would do? But notice how Jesus begins to acknowledge them. He says, I know your deeds. I've not just been watching your situation. I, I, I don't just have eyes on the world. I know what you are doing. And what's about to follow is a harsh rebuke for how these Christians were living in Laodicea. And I'm not going to explain this. As as we get through and as, as we see Jesus pinpoint certain things they were doing that was wrong, he himself is going to explain why it's so important to highlight these issues. He says, I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold, just like the water that you drink, so is the spiritual life that you are living. I wish you were either one or the other, hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What a harsh rebuke that they were basically going through this time of spiritual apathy. They didn't really care what was going on with their spiritual lives because Outwardly, everything seemed fine. They were wealthy. They were healthy. 
They had this patented ISAB. They had the, the mint, the, the currency. They had the central banking system. Life was good in Laodicea. And in, as such, they began to get apathetic about what God meant for their life and why it is that they needed a savior. And then he goes on. It's not just that they were being apathetic towards who God was and what he meant for them, but then he goes on to get even more specific. Jesus says, you say in Laodicea, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. But Jesus cautions, you don't even realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You think you've got your lives made and life is good and you can just relax and do nothing, but you don't even know what you really are. And this is the first important reason why a a faith that can withstand this life depends a lot on who you're standing with. So often in life, when it comes to our view of things, we are really blind to what it is that we are going through. Have you ever noticed this? It's so easy to see the problems in the people around you. But when it comes to identifying your own problems, you are often blind to them. It's not about how much you know. It's really about how well you are known by others who can see into your life for you. And Jesus here highlights the importance of having people to stand with you. So after he acknowledges that they don't know what they need to know, and they're they're blind and they're wretched and they're pitiful, he goes on to add this to them. This is a promise. This is an, an offer, perhaps a challenge. He says, I counsel you, I encourage you to buy your gold from me. Buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. It's not about the, the, the mint where you create coins in Laodicea. I offer you something better that will truly make you wealthy. I give you a peace that this world can't offer and security that no wealth can provide. I counsel you to, to get white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. The black cloth you make is great. The, the multicolored things, fine, sell them. But I offer you a true white robe to wear where you will be forgiven of your sins before God himself. I have something for you that this world cannot give. Come back to me, come back to me. And he says, I will give you salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Only I can heal what is wrong with you and only I can show you what it is that you need to see. And as he goes through this, he's basically chastising them for the way that they've been living in this world. Here they were surrounded by so many luxuries and and things that, that made their lives comfortable that they had become so lukewarm in their faith. They were neither hot nor cold, never on fire for God or completely walked away from him. They were just kind of settled in into a comfortable place where they could kind of live out their faith with some comfort. And I wonder how many of us in this area or in today's world are really in that same place. You know, life is for the most part, pretty good. Wealth is something that a lot of people in this country really have. And even the poor people in poverty in this, in this country, even, even they, even we have access to things that people 20 years ago never would have thought possible. I wonder how easy it is for us to be lukewarm in our faith 
to kind of just go through life expecting the comforts that so many people in this world don't have. I wonder what Jesus would say to us. Not the church in Laodicea, but the church in Lakeville or the church wherever you're at. I wonder what counsel he would give to us and the invitation he would give to stop being apathetic in our faith, but rather to see the importance of what it is that he brings to each and every one of us. And here's where he gets to the point. Why these words of harsh rebuke? Here's why. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest, be honest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. Here I am to give you what you've been forgetting about all this time. You know, the apathy, the, the doubt, the, the, the things that we just sort of settle into because it's a normal part of living in this world. Jesus says, I'm here and I want in. This isn't making a decision to let Jesus come into your heart. This is a decision by faith to let him have access over your life. To say, would you, Jesus, look into the things I've been taking security in and would you give me something better? Would you look at the wealth that I've accumulated and give me a different wealth that only you can give? It's here that Jesus says, I'm here. I'm ready to give to you. Would you let me in? It's, it's, as, as, you, as you look at your faith and the ability of your faith to withstand what's going on in this world, it's not just about what you do. It's really about who you stand with. And Jesus says, I'm standing here with you. And then here's how he ends this letter to the Laodiceans. He says, to the one who is victorious. And that's what the whole point of this book is about. God wants people to withstand the things of this world by faith. To, to those who are victorious, I give the right to sit with me, to, to be done standing against and, and fighting against all the evils of this world. And once this is all done, we're going to sit together, you and me. We'll sit on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. The encouragement again, whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. And this is so important. The call to victory was given in the context of community. The encouragement to stay faithful and to withstand the attacks that this life will bring was given in the context of the churches, the community that God provides around you. It is such a blessing to know that Jesus is right there knocking at the door, waiting for us to, 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 to let him have his lordship and let his promises be applied to our lives. But within the context of revelation, all these visions, all this encouragement, all this preparation even is given within the context of community. Victory is, 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 is a call that is placed within the context of community. So here's what we see. Here's what we see. One thing that Jesus did for these churches would have been impossible for him to do if they were all alone and isolated in this world. Jesus wanted to bring discipline into their lives because he loved them. He basically said, I see what you're doing. You're conforming to this world, but I've called you to something so much greater. I don't want you to drift away from me. 
So hear my rebuke, hear my discipline and come back to me. Here I am ready to forgive and ready to give you what you've been missing. When Jesus rebukes, it's because he loves us and he wants to bring us back. But discipline can't happen in isolation. God's gift of discipline, it won't happen in isolation. It's, it's always something that's delivered in community. And just think about it this way. How many successful sports teams have you found that really didn't have a coach? Uh, how many successful years of your life were because you were on your own and no one had any accountability over you? When it comes to the improvements we make, we make in this world, Really, the discipline, the correction, the alignment happens because people can see into our lives and they can help us address the things that need to be addressed. When it comes to withstanding the things in this world, so much depends on the people you stand with. And the thing is, this isn't even just a biblical thing. This is a scientific thing. This is a data thing that, that we can see in this world. Uh, something interesting that I saw a couple of weeks ago is there was a recent Harvard study. Get this, the study lasted 75 years and it basically studied several different groups of people from rich to poor. And it basically studied how their health and how their general well-being went throughout their entire life. And what they realized is this, when it comes to happiness and when it comes to health, there was one key defining thing that made all the difference in the world. So impactful that when they talked to the director of this review, he said, there's really only one thing to talk about that we learned from this study. A person's health and well-being has everything to do with the friends that are in their life. It has to do with who they stand with. And here's how the director of this research project put it himself. This is Robert Waldinger. He said, it doesn't matter whether you have a huge group of friends. It's not like you have to be YouTube famous or anything like that. Rather, it's the quality of the relationships. It's how much vulnerability and depth exists within them. How safe you feel sharing with one another. The extent to which you can relax and be seen for who you truly are and in turn, truly see another. And it was this deep level of friendship that this review simply saw as a contributing factor to a person's health and well-being. We don't need a Harvard research paper to tell us this or a study because this is what we see throughout the Bible and especially in the book of Revelation. In order to be a person who is resilient and strong and a person who has a faith that can withstand the things of this world, what's so important is who you stand with. The discipline that God wants to bring into your life will not happen in isolation, but the victory he wants to bring you to is, is called for within the context of community. And here's, here's maybe another way to say it. Authentic Christian relationships maintain your faith's integrity. Uh, recently, there was the unfortunate event of that um, apartment complex in Florida uh, crumbling and uh, falling down. And in the wake of that tragedy and the many lives lost, a number of people were looking into the reason why that building just suddenly collapsed. And among a number of things, one of the things that contributed to it was that the design of that building wasn't designed to, to handle the kind of stress and burden that was placed on it. 
There was a 13th floor that was never accounted for in the original design. There, there were so, several add-ons that just weren't designed for that structural integrity, and it was pushed beyond its limits. It was only a matter of time. And this is really what the book of Revelation shows us about this world. There's going to be things that we never took into account that enter your life. Joys, yes, those will be there. But there will also be hardships and troubles and evils and an evil one casting accusations that you are no good. And how could God love you? There will be a lot of burdens and stresses that come into our lives. And here's the thing, when it comes to our structural integrity of our faith, it cannot last if we stand alone. But the beauty of Christ's church is that we stand together, encouraging each other, strengthening each other, and at times when we notice a structural defect in someone else's heart and someone else's faith, we are there to realign them with grace and peace and forgiveness. So here's the bottom line that we see from the book of Revelation. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of stresses and burdens that come into you in this life. It's a huge blessing to know that Jesus is standing there with you. But let's not miss the, the blessing that's all around us. What we know is this. Number three, you need people who really know God to really know you. People who really know who God is and how he loves you and how he doesn't just affirm you where you're at, but he disciplines you and he wants to realign you. You need people who really know the grace and power of Christ's resurrection. You need them to really know you to really know what's going on in your life. So much more than just the passing, hey, how are you doing? Doing fine, how are you? Doing fine. So much more than that, but someone who can step in and say, no, how are you really doing? What's really going on in your life? How's your marriage really doing? How's your career really going? How's the studying really coming along? You need people who can come into your life and really see what's going on so they can bring the grace and love and forgiveness that God has for you and apply it to where you need it the most. We all need people who really know God to really know us. And so my question for you is, who really knows you? Do you have someone or a group of people in your life that really know God and really know you? Who can comfort you and encourage you and realign you when needed? Who really knows you. And if you were going to write their names on a piece of paper, how many names would there be and who would they be? What I'm guessing is that for a lot of people in the 21st century, that deep level of friendship is something that a lot of us maybe don't have. In fact, if we're not intentional with it, it's something that we will always be lacking. So my encouragement for you this week is as you think through the book of Revelation and especially the call to victory given in the context of community, would you think to yourself, are you being intentional with the people who really know God? And are you bringing them into your life? Now we, we at North Cross, we, we're very in, in, strategic with how we do this. And here's, here's my bottom line. I'm not, in, I'm not all about you know, bringing you into a church or bringing you into a program. What I'm most interested in is leading you to Jesus and leading you to the people that Jesus wants in your life. So, so maybe you have something that works for you where people who really know God really know you. And I encourage you, keep that up and keep adding to it. But here's what it means for us at North Cross and for us as a church. The way that we are intentional with us is through something we call growth groups. 
with groups of people who are there not to impress each other or, or to, um, to teach each other. Really, the, the whole point of a growth group is just to stand with one another. And if, if you're in a growth group, there's really simply three things to do. Anyone can do this. All you do is you show up, you join in, and you be real. You show up just by making group meetings a priority in your life. Join in because it's not about teaching one another. It's more about applying God's truth to your own life and then simply be real. When and if you're comfortable, share with them how you're really doing so that they can take what God really says and apply it to who you really are. And the exciting thing is that this week we're really, we're we're officially launching a new season of growth groups here at North Cross, which means we've got some brand new openings that are available. If you are not in a group right now, I encourage you head to our website, northcrossmn.org. And if you scroll down on the homepage, you'll see one of two options. One is starting point and one is growth groups. If you're new or newer to North Cross, the, the best way to experience community for the first time is to start out with starting point. If you're a member, if you've been connected here for a while, and if you're not in a group, I have a challenge specifically for you. Would you just give it a try? Check out a group, try it out, go to a meeting or two, just see how it is. And what I know, what I know is that while we can't create perfect environments where everyone is always happy, what we can do is create an environment where you can stand with other people who know where you need to go. We can create environments where you can be real with people who really know God. And even in those moments where you're taking your first steps into vulnerability and openness and honesty, what you will find is grace and encouragement when you need it the most. So that's my simple application for you this week. As you think about the book of Revelation, Remember the importance of having someone who really knows God, really know you. Continue your pursuit of that in, in, in your life. And I challenge you this week, go ahead and sign up for a group or continue with a renewed commitment in the group that you're already in. I hope you can join us back next week. We're gonna be outside in the parking lot and we're gonna have a special message all about judgment day and what that day will be like. But for today, I'm gonna close us with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, in the book of Revelation, it never shies back from the evil that we may experience in this life. In fact, it numbers the evil, it it names the evil, and it, it can startle us with these visions that capture our imagination and stir our emotion. But my prayer this week is that as we come to grips with the kind of world we live in, that we would be given the ability to withstand all of this as we stand in faith with Jesus. And I pray that this week we would take a special look at the people that we're standing with so that we can be intentional by surrounding ourselves with with a small group of people who really know God and who can really know us. So bless our church this week as we launch a new year of groups. May they be a place where we can grow our friendships that will last for eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.